Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to White Wine Question Time, the podcast that asks its guests three thought-provoking questions over three glasses of wine. And my guest this week is one of the internet's biggest stars with more than 26 million followers across his platforms. A YouTuber who rose to fame from a very young age. He's since made it to the final on Strictly, has become a best-selling author, actor, business owner and musician. Born in Wiltshire, his career kicked off following his A-levels when he took up an apprenticeship with his uncle Gary as a roof thatcher. When he wasn't up on the roof, though, he was posting on his YouTube channel, inspired by his older sister Zoe, or Zoella to you and I. Within barely two years, he'd vlogged his way to well over a million subscribers and well and truly became part of the UK's YouTube elite. From there, his career snowballed in the sort of way that only the internet can manage. He released a charity single in a boy band, sang with Bono on Band-Aid, I know, published the fastest selling graphic novel in British history and voiced characters in multiple Hollywood movies. He even started his own management company with fellow YouTuber Casper Lee. But everything changed in 2018 when he took a giant sequined leap into the mainstream, passadobleing his way into Strictly and making it all the way to the grand final, losing out on the glitter ball to Stacey Dooley, but coming away with the ultimate runners-up prize. A burgeoning romance with his professional partner on the show and now living girlfriend, Diane Buswell. As the first YouTuber on Strictly, he well and truly flew the flag for a whole new generation of internet superstars. Following up his performance with a stint on the West End stage in Waitress, an animated kid show called Corpse Talk, a part in K. Miller's Syndicate, and now a brand new book called Grow. It's part memoir, part practical guide to inspire us all to disconnect from the digital world and reconnect with the natural world. Let's hear more about it as we dial up Joe Sugg. How are you, sir? Can I just say that is the best, like, sum up of my my last 10 years ever. And can I, can I use it to play just when people ask me what I do for a living? <laughs> I'm like, right, listen to this podcast. Kate will explain it all perfectly. <laughs> I'll send you a PDF uh, script and you can yeah. have it. <laughs> so, like, listen to this. Listen to this. It hypes me up. Great. <laughs> I think there's no hype intended, my friend. You are a man that's got an audience, the BBC is is envious of i mean you are i can't even get my begin to get my head around how many people you can talk to and impact yeah it's um it's it's an unusual one it's not ever anything that we sort of intended when well i say i intended when i started off this sort of journey um through social media but it's um i've just sort of rode the wave for the last 10 years and um it's just crazy to look back on and see where 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 i've got to with it i mean you're inventing new paths out right i mean you were amongst the first at the forefront of a digital revolution that none of us knew where it was quite going and you really rolled your sleeves up and just dived straight in um there must have been times when you were going into places and spaces that you just felt like the biggest imposter because how on earth did a roofer from the countryside get there (laughs) yeah exactly i mean it was it all those things it was a it's a real i think um, like we said before, there was no one sort of in our space that was doing things to the sort, I guess, the level that our sort of generation of online stars got to. So it was a very, very like unusual time. And, and um, I compare it to like other industries and think like if I was going down an acting route or musician route, you can kind of look into the future and see where those industries could get to at the highest level or, you know, you can sort of see the road sort of paved out in front of you whereas the industry that we were in and at the forefront of you you we just didn't know where it was going to lead to and how big it would actually get to so I was in my mind I was fully prepared to sort of give it a go for a year and then if it all didn't pan out I would just go back to being a roof thatcher (laughs) yeah working with your uncle Gary yeah uncle Gazza (laughs) when I look up like you say that was the best recap of the last 10 years it has only been 
10 short years, which when you're as old as me, just feels like a, a, a chapter in your life rather than the probably the significant chapter that it feels to you right now. But boy, oh boy, have you packed a lot into it to the point that you've almost come full circle, Joe, and you've written this book, Grow, which is about you actually unplugging, disconnecting from the world that has delivered so many riches, but it comes with a cost, doesn't it? A little bit of burnout, a little bit of uh, digital fatigue. Yeah, definitely. And, it, and it, I mean, like um, the whole sort of, yeah, reason why I wrote a lot about that in the book is because it is something that I didn't think I would ever experience, but I did go through. And um, it, it's interesting because I, I, like, even now I use social media still so much. And it's such a vital tool and, and the Internet in general. I mean, we all use it. We've all got this computer at the end of our hands that gives us access to everything and anything like as much as I still love and still use, use social media it's I have sort of reconnected with with nature and, and found like the value in in actually getting outside and enjoying the space around me and and um and even sharing that with friends and like we uh myself and, and Diane my girlfriend we moved to the countryside uh sort of during the third just before the third lockdown I think and um but then since then, it's been, I mean, we moved from London as well. So we, we experienced a lot of sort of that time of, of lockdown. And, so, you know, we could go out for that one walk a day. That time we were all out one walk a day. I think that's the sort of moment for me where it really sort of hit home of like, actually, you know, now that we're all locked inside, the easy thing to do is to scroll through our phones and sort of live out our lives online. But that for me was a moment where I was like, actually, it's making me now appreciate more than ever the fact that the sort of fundamentals of like a human being of being outside and and appreciating the nature around us and actually appreciating about to sort of go on walks and sort of take in the nature around us well with that in mind i wanted to dive into my first question with you so are you ready you're something of a jack of all trades which is no mean feat in the inter entertainment industry which kind of likes people to stay in their boxes. You kicked off your career in the early 2010s with a rapid rise on YouTube and Fast became a central player in a generation of YouTubers before going on to tap into the mainstream. Along the way, you've helped to rewrite, I think, ways in which stars are born using the internet to achieve the kind of audience and mainstream reach that most television networks can only dream of. So, Joe, with the gift of hindsight, with all that we talked about, with the kind of burnout that you experienced, if you had your time to do it all again, what parts do you think that you would have done differently to prevent you crashing and burning and feeling uh, at times like it, it had tipped too far into the metaverse and not into the actual universe in which you live? I, I think I would have um, maybe set out with more of a a bit more of a game plan I guess like I mean the, the, nowadays like it, it's tricky because we started our YouTube channel as well I, I, me personally started my YouTube channel as a bit of fun and just to sort of you know there was no real sort of like plan put in place of you know I want to do this upload this many videos per week and do this and then I aim to get to this and then go on to this and then the end goal is this it was very much sort of just go with the flow see where it ends up there was no real sort of structure to it which I think led to um sort of a, a an unexpected it's one, it's one of those jobs where it's like the more you put into it the more you get out of it social media so the more you're uploading the more you're there and present on social media obviously the, the more people are going to see you which leads to larger following and things like that and i i think i was, it was one of those it's one of those things where it ends up sort of you know, it, it, it can get the better of you in a sense of like you, it becomes quite addictive and it, and in a, in a good way of like, this is amazing. Like, I, you know, you're getting all this sort of attention, this followers going up, it's all great. And, but there's no, there was no real sort of like structural plan put in place of where I wanted to end up, or this is the thing that I really want to go into, um, in the long run. So I think looking back, I would probably set out with more of a plan and maybe a bit less naive to it all and be like, it is going to turn into a career, you know, although it is fun and it's still a hobby, it will turn into a career, Joe. So you need to have uh, certain things put in place, like certain goals and targets and stuff um, and give yourself a bit more of a, a structure. But I mean, obviously you, you were watching this unfold 
under your under your roof with your sister as well. He was slightly ahead of you. Um, you could sort of almost travel in her slipstream, I suppose. Were you taking notes furiously and thinking, oh, "I'm not doing that," or "I should do that more"? You know. Yeah. It, do you know what it was? It was it was good because I, I I was I sort of got adopted into this group of of vloggers who were already um sort of on their rise, and so I came a bit late to the party, but I um through my sister I got to meet a load of other sort of male creators who were in that group and uh and I was a newbie to the group and it was I in my own head I had like a my own little competition going on with myself of being like I wonder if I could get to the level that they're at so without them even realizing I was sort of in competition with everyone I put into my own head of being like well if they're uploading twice a week I've got to upload twice a week if they're doing this I've got to do this um so and it became like part of my sort of drive and goals was to try and get to that sort of level and and even maybe surpass that do you think it was quite um important that you had those guys around you in terms of just having a touchstone of somebody else that's going through it a bit like when you you speak to young men who were in boy bands in the 90s and you know it's such a unique and shared experience and actually when I look at some of the stuff you were experiencing by way of audience reaction it was like you were in a boy band people would mob you and turn up for book signings and scream and cry and ask to touch you yeah I've seen I've seen many a fainter um in my in my time and you know a lot of tears a lot of fainting a lot of hysteria it is something that I never thought I would ever obviously ever experience in my life. So it's, and it's, yeah, it's something I don't think any human being sort of is used to or, or expects of, of that level when it actually happens. It's very unusual and it's overwhelming and it's, but it's, it's, it makes you feel really good though. It does make you feel um, like it makes you feel a bit special in a way and, and sort of loved, which is good. And I was very lucky that I had, not just Casper, who was my roommate at the time, to sort of speak to and talk to and sort of share those experiences with, but also my sister, uh, um, and Alfie, Marcus, Jim, like so many other people in that space. And we were all, the amount of times we used to all hang out together um, and we'd all be sort of sat around on our laptops, all editing, but all together and sort of advising each other and and sort of sharing what we'd learned, but also sharing the experiences that we've had and and how we're feeling and things like that. It was a very sort of close knit group, um, and we all went through something together. And we're, I think we we sort yeah. of come out the other side of that sort of and always look back on like fond memories. I feel. Yeah, I, mean, I think it's really uh, maybe you'll come to realise this or appreciate this more as you look back later in life, but. I think that probably was a bit of a lifeboat for you all because you were going through, I mean, an extraordinary experience, but huge in terms of life change, in terms of the money that you were earning, your social standing. I mean, you know, you had girls fainting at the at the thought of, you know, at, at the sight of you, and yet you've not had a girlfriend. That's a lot. Yeah, yeah it was, yeah, it was really unusual. It was, and, and um, like I said, it's something that we'd never sort of prepared for. It was very sort of, I mean, like, that we had, we, I remember doing like a book signing at um, the Emirates Stadium for my first book and just sort of th- taking moments just to be that, like, just yeah. Just that sentence is, is weird, Joe, right? Yeah, I know, yeah. And I, I you know, what, I, I actually almost, that's sort of, in, in a, I, I haven't really thought about that for a long time. And now that we've, we're sort of talking about it, I'm like, that just seems mad that at one point in time, I was able to, it, that was even discussed that I'd be able to sort of do that. Um, did you have security for events like that? Yes, yeah, we did. Yeah, because um, and it's it's unusual, I guess, because some of the security firms that we'd worked with, they they're used to it was like a new sort of breed of of <laughs> fans, I guess. Like because they're from the internet, it was like they knew that you'd pass them in the street and they would know they they feel like they know you because they've watched your life and I think with online and stuff that and the sort of YouTube thing part of that was sort of sharing our experiences in our life like vlogging is literally sharing an element of your day with your audience of what you get up to so it's all very real um especially back in the early days you know you were more willing to share more of your life and what you're up to and and you know things like that so your audience really had a strong connection with you and felt like they knew you when you didn't know anything about them so it made us become way more approachable, I feel like. So at these sort of book signings and meet and greets, you know, we'd get such large turnouts because they feel like they felt like we were like a friend of theirs or but we didn't really know them. So and in security terms, it was difficult for them because I guess a lot of these security people are used to foot, 
you know, football fans or like um so i guess like drunken people at concerts whereas this was a completely like new breed of audience i i feel like but, but probably going back to like you said about the boy band type thing and it's so it was very unusual because it was yeah it's a wild wild experience it's a weird thing back then because you you go on on stage and you've it's not like we're singers or or um you know like in the west end and you know actors and stuff like that back then it was it was we were just going on and sort of doing like q a's on stage but people just go crazy for it so it was kind of like a lot of chat about trying to figure out like how we do things like even like that so like talking about like okay so we've got a tour coming up how do we make it a really fun experience for for the audience like what can we do that sort of brings a legitness to it because i think a lot of that imposter syndrome sort of rang throughout the group i believe i mean I'm, i'm speaking for myself i certainly had it but i'm sure a lot of the others would have gone through times where they felt it as well where it was kind of like like how like how has this become this big like how do we sort of keep this going at sort of the pace it's going how do we sort of you know make the most of it but also make sure it's a really fun and enjoyable experience for everyone involved yeah um but also you haven't like you know you're not a band so you can't sing yeah you're not actors who don't act like what do you actually do on stage for those two hours that's going to qualify the charge of a ticket for example yeah you know exactly that's stuff, isn't it yeah. and by the way you're like 20 and you've never done this before and you can thatch roofs yeah 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 i think there was one discussion where i had where i said you know could i just thatch a roof on stage like a little practice roof but i don't think that'd be entertaining for anyone but even actually back in those days they probably would have loved it it was it was a weird time where and this is this is actually before like podcasts would tour on stage it was before you yeah. get like books well, maybe not before book signings, but you know, you, like the, you get the books instead of a book signing, it's like you go to a uh, like a stage and you have like an audience and you do like a sort of a basic a Q and A about the book on stage. It was, I guess, like that yeah. was the only thing we could sort of compare it to in a way. But it was like that, but just very intense screaming, kind of like that. Mix that with like a boy band type vibe. It was so unusual, so unusual. When I look at that kind of group mentality, one of one of the sort of previous models, if you like, I could sort of ascribe to it is the Mickey Mouse Club, right? Which where where you had like Christina Aguilera, I think it was Ryan Reynolds, Justin Timberlake, Britney Spears, Ryan Gosling right? as well, yeah, Ryan Gosling, yeah. that's it, yeah. Ryan Gosling, not Reynolds, yeah. Um, so you get this, you know, this batch of would be megastars that are going through a shared experience together. Um, now we know how that worked out for some some have fared better than others with their mental health was that a concern ever for you guys that you'd look around this room and think are we all going to be okay with this like you know managing success is 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 it's still a job right you're really successful but you've got to stay there you don't know what you're doing nobody knows what you're doing because nobody's ever done this before like yeah that must have been a big concern at some point maybe even if it's that your parents raised you know what it was it like for me personally i in the moment, I there was points where I just like naively thought that it would last for forever. I was like, "Yes, yeah, we're great. We're going to always just make content, and we're just going to age it up over time. And everyone's going to grow up and still be addicted to to my content when they when they pass the age of sort of twenty or whatever." But it's 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 not it's not the case, you know. It's not it's um, no. and I I kind of wish that I did have more. I mean, I I did know that it would eventually happen because that's the you know the whole one of the whole reasons why uh, myself and Casper who's who was my roommate at the time and also a YouTuber that's how we came up with the idea for starting our own um management company for for social talent because yeah. we were like you know one day we are not going to be you know the draw the, yeah we're not going to be the the top 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 dogs of like this sort of portion of the internet it's going to obviously the internet's going to get bigger social media is going to get bigger it's going to be more accessible to everyone and it's going to you know be easier to make content more than ever it's going to be so many more um bigger and sort of and also like more talented people with bigger bolder ideas that are going to grasp the, the sort of short short attention span of the internet consumers and um so that's why we were like we you know let's sort of get ahead of that and and in a way kind of be there for the next generation of online talent and and use our our expertise and sort of the lessons that we've learned over the years to 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 be there if they need to sort of get a longevity out of out of the online career and hopefully sort of get them to experience 
really cool things like we got to experience some of the most amazing incredible things as part of our sort of 10-year careers to date and I just love the fact of then once it's kind of like once you've been through something and you've experienced something so great you then get satisfaction and enjoyment out of seeing someone else go through it I think so maybe that's what you're doing with your hindsight is you're passing it down yeah. with the agency you've created with Casper I mean you two are like kind of you know Obi-Wan Kenobi's yeah. uh in terms of the next generation you can you can feel the force and show them the yes way. exactly yeah <laughs> Yeah, but that must be quite exciting itself because you've now seen the pace and rhythm of the digital revolution, right? It outstrips the industrial revolution yeah. at a rate of not. So nobody's going to stay that successful for that long unless they are really, really talented, tenacious and have a head in the books of what's going on in terms of algorithms, which is something I know you do. So mm. I'm going to jump into my next question with you, Joe, and I'm going to give you the mother of all tasks. amongst the very first generation to not only grow up with the internet but on it too and you are uniquely placed in your knowledge of social media and online content and we all know that the internet is not always a nice place we're seeing huge numbers of young people walk away from it uh, many of your former colleagues and compatriots have stepped back from youtube even megastars like tom holland are deleting their socials because they think they need to stay offline to preserve their mental health something you've touched on with your book grow so if i was to give you the keys to the kingdom the online kingdom joe yep. imagine you are for social media what tim berners lee is for the internet and Tim Berners-Lee, for those that don't know, invented the internet and now is the caretaker of the World Wide Web. I'm gonna hand you the keys, Joe, there they are. Yep. And you can do whatever you need to do to make it a better space. What are you gonna do? I think sort of with anything that's sort of made, be that sort of social media, anywhere where people can interact with each other, I would, as part of like, say that's an app or a social media platform, I would have almost like a designated part of that social media platform or that app is to be, is to focus on the user experience and making sure that, you know, it's a safe place where they can, if they need, get, speak to someone and get help and um, have a bit of assistance. I feel like that's the one thing that we could maybe do better with on the internet. And it's just not, it's, it, I think it's like a balance between obviously businesses want to maximize business. You know, they want to grow things as big as they can. The more users, the better, that kind of thing. Um, and, you know, because one, one thing that I've been very fortunate with, um, with YouTube is that I've, I've had someone, um, you know, at YouTube that I can, I can talk to. And they've, YouTube for me have always been very, very good at, at talking to their, their users and the people that's a, a part of their platform and, and um, uh, I think for me because of because of my sort of rise on the platform at an early stage I've been very fortunate that I've got um, uh, someone you know at YouTube like a direct contact that I can reach out to if I need help with anything. It's not just a direct contact is it Joe let's be honest right when the, the head honcho from YouTube used to come into town from Los Angeles or Silicon Valley wherever it was that they were based they would take you for dinner so that, I mean like you know some people can't even get a complaint registered on Instagram. You got wine and dined by the boss. Yes. Yeah, so, the, and and this is what I would love to sort of make because that sort of experience for me has made my experience on social media so. I think what a big part of what sort of kept me going on it for so long is is the interactions that I've had and and the 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 um the just being able to know that I can reach out to someone. So I think applying that to all users because even like even um now i keep getting like emails come through that are clearly like these like phishing emails or whatever it is and i keep reporting them and I'm, i i feel like sometimes you report stuff and you just know it's not going to a human being who's going to generally look into it as much as i know that a lot of things are getting sort of uh driving towards being sorted out by robots and algorithms and things like that i i still like the idea that human beings you can like I like the idea of being able to reach out and speak to a human. Like the amount of times you probably call up people and you go through to a robot, and you're talking to a robot, and you're like, no, I just want to, I just want to talk to a human, because a human will understand my wants and needs right now. And and I think, you know, I I think we're we're going into a, a time period where people will, if they're not being heard and they're not um, 
sort of having the experience that they want, they will start to look elsewhere and and just and will stop using certain certain platforms. Yeah, I think that's a very genuine fear. Is that people feel that they are part of a community where sometimes you know for for example we're called users, right? I think that is just a horrible use of language because if yeah. you sound like drug addicts, right? We're not users. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we're not customers because we're not paying to be there, but they are monetizing us. So actually, we're clients. If you want to put, yeah. if you want to put it that way, yeah. so we're the client services. So I just tried to report, for example, and I know many women of my age that do my sort of job have got. I think it's the same guy writing pretty disgusting stuff to us on D, like really out of order stuff. So I've right. I've filed so many complaints, but all I get back is a bot. We can't look into this at the moment. We're too busy. Well, yeah. If if you're going to build communities, you've got to be able to service and manage them, haven't you? So I mm-hmm. think that they owe us better as users um, mm-hmm. to at least have somebody there to help us when people are misbehaving within the community. If you applied it to the real world, it would be like living in a society with no government or police. And you wouldn't send somebody to be heard at trial by a bot. A judge with age and wisdom and experience would make that decision or guide a jury. So yeah. if you talk about the metaverse and apply it to the real world, we surely have to start populating it with people and not bots. Yeah, I mean, there's there's an argument as well that we should, you know, anyone that wants to use the internet should... Show themselves. Should show themselves, yeah, and provide information. So like anything you put out there, you know, it's coming from, you can, you can see who it's coming from. And I think that would just, it would just eradicate trolling, I think, by a massive proportion. You know, it would probably, it, it would make people think, you know, think before they before they speak and um so that's something as well that i think you know should be looked at definitely i think you should put that on your manifesto joe maybe i can be one of your <laughs> yeah. um but i think i think making the community accountable so that you're right you shouldn't be able to hide behind an egg and post mm. abuse you shouldn't and then if you yeah. do and somebody reports you there should be a human being that goes oh my god as a valued member of our community i'm so sorry you're going through this let me help you no yeah yeah a chatbot that says we're too busy whilst we're looking at the profits that they're posting and it's like hang on a minute footfall will speak in a moment and we'll all leave <laughs> yeah yeah no exactly exactly i think it's um it, it it's i think i guess i think as well like uh you know if you haven't got that there in place then who do you speak to about it you can you can speak to like your parents your friends about it but sometimes it's 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 difficult because it's quite if if you're you know, if your family or your friends aren't as online or not in that space or that world that you're in, like, to, for, for example, with me, um, I was lucky because I had, you know, a group of friends around me that all experienced the same thing. But if you're, if you're, um, you know, you love social media and you love being on it, but you, you're getting sort of um, awful comments about a certain aspect of whatever, and, you know, you're getting these negative comments, but your friends aren't as involved, they could just say, well, you know, don't go on it then. But that's not, you know that's not the advice you want to hear per se because it's a place that you you shouldn't even be like that in the first place well no and also if it's a bit like saying oh i went to a nightclub and somebody picked on me and like you know it looks like they were they were really having a go at me well don't go to the nightclub anymore no 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 actually yeah, no yeah that person out yes. so actually you know if we are creating and a metaverse i mean you you tell me joe what do you understand the metaverse to be is it another world that is entirely digital but a world nonetheless i guess so So, yeah i mean the only thing i can sort of for me i i've got like a virtual reality headset i was i was using it and it's one of those things where it's like it showcases some of the best and the worst of everything i think with anything you're gonna get people that take it to the extremes i think i was i was in this thing called vr chat which is basically like a these sort of like virtual reality sort of um chat rooms i guess but they're like they're designed to be like levels in games or you can go any place you want as any character you want. And initially I was in there and I had all these people approaching me and you get some that are just shouting at you and and um, sort of trying to mess with you and things like that. But then there was another community on there that almost came and rescued me from all that. And they showed me this world they were building and they're all really nice. But they spend, it was it was so interesting. I feel like I was like in a, in a documentary, like interviewing these, these, these people about, because they spend so much of their time in this metaverse like in this sort of digital world because they, they actually prefer that than actually being in the real world um and some of them even some of them even sleep in vr so they will actually go to sleep in virtual reality 
No so they way. Wake, they wake up and they still have the goggles on. They're still in their virtual apartment or whatever. Okay, um, so Joe, Joe, as head of social media, recently appointed, is that yeah. a good thing? I, I, it's it's tr- it's a tricky one to answer because it's like if that makes them I always think it's good to be I mean this is you know this is why I, I write about it in my book but I always think it's so good to to get outside and you don't necessarily have to be on like connected to social media but just to get outside and appreciate the natural world that that we're fortunate fortunate enough to be to be living on but if they if their real life is so awful and you know they need an escape is it a bad thing to, to go somewhere they are appreciated and they have got friends, be that, you know, they might not actually see them in real life, but they've made these connections with these people that share a similar interest. I like the fact that you can go to the internet to escape from the real, use it as an escape from the real world. And you can go and watch videos on whatever your interests are. And you can, you can go and you can, you know, um, interact with all, whoever you want. And, you know, I, I, I like all that. I like that. It's kind of like a, a you know, this space where you can, whatever your interests are you can go and explore that the only thing i think is that it is a bit of a and always has been since the beginning a bit of a wild west so i mean i think i think there is there's always more that can be done to make it a uh, a safe space for everyone there's always more that can be done and and that's something that i would i would love to see in the future i mean it's event ultimately the internet is a brilliant thing and mm-hmm. it's, it, if used for good, it's one of our greatest resources, man-made resources. I mean, when Tim Berners-Lee was working up that algorithm, um, he, you know, he knew straight away in order for this to be good and to do good, nobody can own it. So he's never made yeah. money from inventing the internet in the way that anybody else, like 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 a Mark Zuckerberg has, for example, or a Jack Dorsey or whoever, yeah. um, because he understood that it, it's intent it's built it's built it was built with the intention of doing good and mm-hmm. um and i really and i do believe that there is so much good to be gained from it still yeah i i, th- I think it's interesting as well that because like I, th- I feel like tim berners lee he's not if you ask i might be wrong on this but i think if you ask the younger generation the name of the person who invented the internet they wouldn't be able to they wouldn't know that it was tim berners lee but they would know they know mark zuckerberg they know jack dorsey they know all the people that are on that created these big apps which i think is a new like interesting yeah well um with the thought of groundbreaking firsts at the forefront of my mind i'm going to jump into our third and final question if that's okay. right yep who has been right out the fore of some really big significant changes i mean you sat at the heart of an online implosion i'd like to talk through some of your other significant firsts joe if that's okay of course and i wanted to start with the first time you felt like an adult uh first time i felt like an adult i i do you know what i feel like it's quite recently which which may surprise you i i think like post london move uh, down to the countryside with my girlfriend sort of feeling very settled I think as well like the sort of post I say post you know like YouTube but it's not I still do um I still do use social media an awful lot but it's but, and I still consider that as you know one of my main jobs but I think like that kind of that sort of chapter of the sort of hysteria of that sort of time on YouTube where you know, we were the group that sort of went on to do all these amazing things. I feel like that sort of chapter is, is now sort of, now that I've turned 30, that sort of chapter's come to a close now and it's now mm-hmm. time for like a new sort of chapter. Um, one where I, I can sort of, it's like going back to your comment about the, the sort of Disney stars in the past. Like I don't, I don't want to, if, if I was to compare it to the Disney stars, I don't want to stay boxed into that you are still the Disney star. I want to move on and, be an adult, being able to sort of do what I want to do, um, and just find new avenues and find new, new, new things to to work on. So um, yeah, you so that's what I would do. do. You have a voracious appetite, and I can I hear just by the way that you talk that you really try to dig deep into the business of your business. You don't just leave that for other people to do. Um, I'm sure uh, you know that you would study the data that comes back from your content and you know how to read it and improve upon it and all of that stuff. 
you know what? I never used to though. I never used to do yeah. that. I, to me, to me, that was a distraction because I've always considered consider myself as like purely creative. So I love to make stuff and do things. And like, I, I paint, I draw, I, I sculpt, I do all these different like, like creative outlets. And for me, the idea of like data crunching, I used to think that would just slow me down. And, and I thought, used to think like, even like looking at sort of, yeah, all that kind of um, behind the scenes stuff to me, I used to just sort of, I think now I just don't want to concentrate on that. But now as I'm getting older, um, and especially like things like with the production company and, and sort of doing these more kind of like businessy ventures, it's something that is, is actually a very vital tool in, in sort of um, making making new stuff, I think. So it's something now that over time and in this, and I guess in this new chapter of, of my life is, is now um, sort of much more important to me. I should have flagged this earlier, actually. Congratulations. You've just signed a deal with B- the BBC to create yeah, BBC Studios. Your, your production company, which is part of the BBC Studios setup. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's with um, uh, this, BBC Studios sort of, they they um, had a lot of faith in us back in the day. This is going back, I think, 2014, 15. We did a, 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 a feature with BBC Studios called Joe and Casper Hit the Road. And it was um, it was very different. It's straight to DVD sort of release. Um, but they sort of took a punt on us and it, and it paid off and, 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 uh, it was so nice working with them. And I've sort of stayed in contact with, with that sort of team ever since. And, um, and obviously things like Strictly have, have sort of helped sort of build that relationship. Um, and I've always been really interested in how, how TV shows are made, like formats. I, I love the idea of, of, of working on formats, coming up with new format ideas, um, so, uh, so yeah, we had the conversation and we managed to sort of come to an agreement and, um, I'm super excited to sort of essentially working with my sort of, I guess, career parents in a, in a weird way. That's what it feels like anyway. It's really interesting though, Joe, isn't it? Because actually the BBC need to learn from people like you and you need to learn from yeah. the people at the BBC, right? So it's fantastic that you guys have, have come together because now what we're seeing is, um, for example, Mr. Beast, I'm sure you know about Mr. Beast, yeah. right? For anybody that doesn't, Mr. Beast is a YouTuber fundamentally, right? Uh, yes. Who's out there and he gives away tons of money. And fundamentally, that's kind of his shtick, isn't it? Is, is yeah. gaming um, and gaming the opportunity for his followers to win huge amounts of money. Mm-hmm. So he, one of his most recent ones, I mean, his audience is huge. It's like 150 million subscribers. You can't even yeah. get it. I mean, that, that's, that's it's not even BBC numbers. That's Netflix numbers. Yeah. And uh, his, he did a, a half hour, I think, I, I think it was a 30 minute spoof, not spoof, pastiche homage to Squid Games. Yes. Got more views than Squid Games. Yeah. It yeah. cost millions to make. It made yes. millions in views. I mean, yeah. like, this is, the numbers are telephone numbers in terms of the, yeah. the noughts that sit at the end of his. But this is. This is the thing, though, with with social media and the internet and stuff. It's just the speed that it that it happens. Like he was able to sort of, to be honest, like that when he brought his out his Squid Games, um, his version of Squid Games, it was. I, I bet you he would have actually wanted to bring it out even earlier, but because it was such a big production, it does take a bit of time to make. But even then, it's so much quicker than perhaps a TV show gets turned around in. And and this is the whole point of what I'm trying to build with my production company is sort of being that sort of hybrid that sits there is going to bridge between the two worlds and become something that people will come to and hopefully work with me on to make stuff that's going to be for me it's all about having those quick turn times so if we've got the idea let's let's jump on it let's make it happen but also to and I think what the internet does well is that they they take risks they they, they don't you know they come up with an idea they film that idea straight away they they edit it turn it around put it out there market it all in the space of like two weeks um, and I'm not saying that we must do that but it's but taking that mentality and applying it to TV and, and taking risks on new formats and stuff is something that I'm really passionate about. Totally. And I think, you know, that's where telly's got to learn is you've got to become more agile. You can't, But, you know, if that was put in front of one of the main broadcasters, they'd have about eight weeks of meetings and then they'd have to reschedule the meetings because somebody's got to go to the dentist and, you know, yeah. and, and actually the internet is just running rings around them at the, at the same time. Creating yeah. content is as good in some and, cases. Uh, and all these TV channels, they all have now an online version of their their station, which I, I think there's gonna be a lot of people making content specifically for those online, um, those um, VOD type um, platforms, because 
I think that will give people access. Video on demand, just yes, yeah. Sorry, yeah, yeah. I think it will encourage a lot of people to try out and test out new formats and and stuff that they would Mm. never normally take a risk on. What about when you were first really on the rise, Joe? And branding agencies, advertising agencies would get in touch because they wanted to collaborate with you. Did you feel like an adult in those moments or a total intruder? (laughs) Yeah, there was a lot of times where I did sort of think. I mean, I thought it was really cool. Like some of the some of the brands. I mean, I, I, I'm one of these people that sort of, you know, I do pick and choose who I work with. I'm fortunate that I can do that, that I have got the, the choice to sort of be like, that's that's a, a lovely amount of money and thank you very much. But I just, I wouldn't promote that or I wouldn't do that. It just doesn't fit right for me. And I don't think my audience would, would sort of resonate with it and things like that. So I, I'm fortunate that I can, I can sort of do that. Um, but it, yeah, there's, I've worked with some really, really cool, cool brands and brands that I love, and 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 I had some really, really amazing experiences sort of with them, which has been really cool. But it must have been a case of like they call you into these swanky sort of offices in London, and you're ushered in, and they make a fuss of you because they want you to work with them and for them, and they're flattering you and tickling your tummy as best they can. That must feel quite. Um, huge and overwhelming at times if you are just a young guy that was doing roofs a couple of years ago yeah no it, it does I mean my the first the first like big brand work I can remember doing was with Skype and part of the campaign was I think they were sort of branching out and doing something different in that space and as part of the deal they flew me out first class I, I bear in mind this is when I was still on a roof I'd never flown on my own in my life or been further than um no I had been traveling before that so I had been to LA before but I'd never flown I'd never turned left on the plane ever yeah. until this moment and and I was on my own it's first time I flew on my own and it just blew my mind I flew out there to do to work with Skype and part of the deal was going to Simon Cowell's house to interview him as part of this sort of um this this thing they were they were bringing out and I and, and the, that whole scenario was terrifying <laughs> like I was I felt I felt very much like, why me? Why have I been picked to do this? Like, this is so random. Is it just because they like the numbers that I'm pulling in and things like that? It must be, I guess, because I'm really awkward and I can't interview people very well. Uh, still to this day, I'm not very good at interviewing people. Um, and I, 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 I just felt like, yeah, that was my first experience of imposter syndrome and kind of like that sort of, am I supposed to be doing this? That's in at the deep end though, because Simon's not easy. Yeah, it was... It was terrifying because obviously you know he is mr scary and it's like there i am sort of he won't sit there and try to make it easy for you i mean he certainly wouldn't make it difficult for you but he's not going to think oh this kid's really nervous let me just like put him at his ease he'll just be like literally looking at his clock because his diary just runs all day yeah 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 and it's it's one of those things like now if i was asked to to do it i would probably probably pass my my sort of priorities have changed i think i think back in the early days it was kind of like bright-eyed bushy-tailed like everything was just like oh my god this is incredible yeah I've got to do this because back then I thought you know this might only last a year this career so if I can say if my chat down the pub can be oh I met Simon Cow once and I, I I've 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 turned left on a plane that'd be like my stories that I stick with for the rest of my life and just like so experience those things whereas now I feel like I'm a bit more sort of settled and comf- more comfortable in myself of what I want to do and what I you know I don't want to do I think what about um the first time you fell in love because that came much later in life didn't it yeah i think the first time i properly i mean i i definitely had my um love interests growing up like through my teenage years the msn day i don't know if you remember msn yeah yeah so like msn there was a girl that i used to be madly in love with what i thought it was i used to throw the, throw the love word around way too much back in those days um but I don't but I feel like I didn't really know I, that wasn't to me wasn't um obviously true love but yeah definitely um with with Diane that's that's definitely the first time I've ever experienced love other than like love like family love do you know what I mean yeah but it's it's different isn't it and yeah. to the point where you want to be with that person all the time and you want to live under the same roof as yeah. them uh, was there a part of you that was just thinking you're a bit punch drunk on the old strictly uh glitter ball impact because there was not only you and um diane that fell in love on that series but you went all the way to the finals with stacy dooley and kevin who also had a similar experience yeah. and got together after the show yeah um no i do you know what i think it was one of those things where on that show you see i think you see the best in someone and the worst in someone because yeah. especially if you get to those later stages you know you're spending like 12 hour days 
um it's it's like it is very intense and you you fall out like we fell out plenty of times i'm sure like we every week we're like i oh, was going home and and because I, I always felt like i needed to make her proud and i'm not a natural dancer i can't dance so i had to purely rely on diane to teach me and so like when you get to those later rounds it gets very stressful it gets very like it, it gets very intense so like you do sort of see i'm sure she saw the worst in me and i saw the worst in her some of those weeks when we thought we were going home and and it wasn't till like after the shows like you think like you know if that's if that's what someone's worst is like in the grand scheme of things that's that's nothing and you know the the positives massively outweighed the the bad so it's like and it and i i always thought i won't ever know like when it's that whole cliche of like when you know you know kind of thing and it wasn't straight away it wasn't apparent but then afterwards it was kind of like it was almost like i think we were so focused on getting to that final and i was so focused on because you know you you always you you end up wanting to do it for your partner i think a lot of i think a lot of the celebrities will agree with me where it's like it becomes yeah it'd be nice to win but it's more you're doing it more for the person who is dances their life do you know what i mean it's very competitive in the dance world and so you're you're doing it for them and and so um yeah it wasn't until sort of afterwards that we had time to sort of put all those thoughts together and and sort of express express our feelings i guess properly it's interesting dynamic isn't it because actually you're the you're the big name star you're you're the celebrity booking but from the moment you you get partnered up she's the boss because yeah. actually you are bowing to her greater knowledge mm -hmm. and then for you to go on and form a relationship at the end of that i wonder how that dynamic informs what you've become as boyfriend and girlfriend yeah i mean you know we're, we're both actually very career focused which works really well for me and really well luckily really well for her it's like because obviously with dancing she's away a lot of the time she's you know she's on tours a lot she's rehearsing for strictly a lot so we don't so it's it's very much like um we're away from each other a lot we stay in contact an awful lot like privately um and then when she comes home or when i come home and we're together it it, it kind of makes that time more special and we value it more and we do things for ourselves um, of course, we share certain elements of it online, but a majority of it we actually just do for ourselves. I think that's really healthy as well. I think there's an expectation yeah. because we are relationship formed on uh, on camera. Like you can actually watch the moment we met. It's really bizarre. I mean, I did a I did a show that Who Do You Think You Are show, and I was finding out about my family heritage. And I was like, what's really weird is that like my eleven times great grandkids in the future they're going to be able to watch back their eleven times great grandfather most of his career and they've been able to pinpoint the moment where he met you know his their 11 times great grandmother and it's so unusual for them to to watch back on whatever the platform will be back then i don't know they'll have to search the archives we really do value like, i think it's really healthy for us to although it's expected maybe us to share quite a lot online with our viewers and with the people that watched us our relationship i think it's a, a lot more like i said healthier for us to to enjoy those private moments together and have that element of like being able to share what we want to share but actually keep most of it back for ourselves well and you've also shifted in some of in some respects because she is now one of your clients you represent her we do yeah 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 exactly i think especially i mean her her following grew massively um when we got partnered on strictly um and it was that kind of thing we did find like you know there was a lot more sort of interest in her like online wise obviously once the followers start to grow and it was that thing of like, I was giving her a lot of advice um, throughout that time and sort of things that knowledge that I'd learned and things and helping her with a lot of that kind of aspect. So it was, it did become that bigger discussion of, well, I've got a management company who, you know, whose job it is to look after, look after clients like yourself. So, um, and, and that's a, a big wider team. So it's, um, so what's great is it's that all that kind of stuff is delegated to other members of staff who, who are all amazing at their jobs and, and really look after um, the clients. So it's uh so yeah, it was, uh, it seemed like a bit of a no brainer. My final first for you, your first significant life lesson. First significant life lesson. I would say it's to not listen to the negative voice in your head. I think there's been times in the past um it's hard to pick out specifics but like in the past there's definitely things that i've sort of thought were beyond me and too 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 scary and too much of a a risk and too putting myself out there a bit too much where 
I look back on now and think you should have just done it. And I think what really sort of amplifies that now in my head is the fact that I did do Strictly and especially even um, the West End musical um, Waitress because that for me, I've, I'd never, I was riding high off confidence for the back of Strictly. And so I was like, yeah, of course I'll go on for audition for, for a West End musical. Um, and then I realized that actually a part of it is obviously singing, singing songs. I'd never sung on stage. <laughs> And there was an expectation, there's an expectation with Strictly is that I came in as a non-dancer. So they weren't expecting me to be good. Whereas in a Western musical, they're expecting you to be good because you've got an audience that are coming in that aren't coming to watch it because you're in it, Joe Sugg. They're coming to watch the show as a whole and be entertained. They're coming from all different parts of the world to enjoy West End theatre. So it was very sort of, um, when I look back at it now, it's one of those things that's like, it's one of those things of like thinking I can't believe you actually did that I'm so glad that I um did something I mean I I hate using this word but like something out of my comfort zone that whole th- like thing of like a com- doing something out of your comfort zone I'm mean, like every single person that goes on Strictly goes this is out of my comfort zone but but though Strictly and the West End thing really was something that sort of was quite sort of exposing and, and you know it was very like he's from this era of entertainment can he be doing this or doing this and trying this i look back now i'm like yes of course why not you you've got these opportunities take them like you're not going to live forever just make the most of it and just enjoy it whilst you can well joe it's been a pleasure talking to you i really i'm intrigued to see what the next 10 years look like for you oh thanks kate a huge thanks to joe whose new book grow is available wherever you get your books from the 15th of september and if you're in the mood for more great chat look no further then our back catalogue, where you'll find episodes with Scarlett Moffat, Giovanna Fletcher, Vernon Kay, Kate Lawler, Georgia Toffolo, Pete Wicks, Zara McDermott, Jamie Lang, Emily Attack, Roman Kemp, Craig Revel Hallwood, Shelley Ballas, Emma Barton, Kelvin Fletcher, and Liz Marland, and many more. As always, the show is produced by me, Kate Thornton, with Ben Robbins and the Yahoo Studios team. Our editing is by Andy Agson, and our music comes courtesy of Andy Bell. All that remains for me to say is thanks for listening. I'll see you next week.